Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. The U.S. government seized First Republic Bank on Monday morning this week, wiping out equity holders entirely and struck a deal to sell the bulk of the firm's operations to J.P. Morgan Chase. The FDIC and California regulators announced this deal early on Monday, announcing that they were simultaneously closing First Republic and selling off all $93.5 billion of its deposits and most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase, who are paying the FDIC $10.6 billion as part of the deal. The deal wipes out First Republic's investors and is estimated to cost the FDIC's insurance fund around $13 billion. The U.S. Treasury Department said that it was encouraged that First Republic depositors had been protected and that costs to the FDIC's deposit insurance fund had been minimized by the deal with J.P. Morgan. These actions are going to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound, U.S. President Joe Biden said on Monday as he stepped up calls for greater regulation of the sector. Critically, taxpayers are not the ones that are on the hook, Biden said. This is now the fourth U.S. bank to fail in the last few months, and the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history. In today's video, let's look at some of the nuance of this deal and discuss the general situation with U.S. regional banks. So, after Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failed in March, people started looking to First Republic as the next risky bank in the system. Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic had a somewhat similar client base and somewhat similar risks and problems, such that investors and customers started to lump the two together. First Republic Bank had just under $120 billion in uninsured deposits as of year-end 2022, and after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, customers were obviously not comfortable with having more than the insured sum on deposit at a regional bank. Some of the biggest banks collected $30 billion of their own money and deposited it at First Republic Bank with the goal of making up for the deposits that customers were pulling and signalling their faith in the business. This seemed to work for about a day, but it didn't really stop the panic. What First Republic Bank had in common with Silicon Valley Bank was a business model that was unprepared for rising interest rates. While Silicon Valley Bank's problem was its investments in long-dated low-interest rate bonds, First Republic's issues were in its loan portfolio, where its model of providing cheap mortgages to wealthy customers left it sitting on large losses when interest rates went up. On the funding side, customers started demanding higher interest rates to keep their money at the bank, an issue I discussed in my recent video on Apple's new savings product. First Republic 
was more diversified in terms of customer base than Silicon Valley Bank was, and overall the bank was facing a few years of low earnings due to the low rates they had locked in. But they might have survived had the bank not suffered a run on its deposits. Coming into April 24th, First Republic was already in a bad spot, and their earnings release that day showed that they had lost $100 billion of customer deposits, more than half of their total deposits, which had been withdrawn over the quarter. There was a sense that this bank was increasingly at risk of being seized by regulators, and the stock began falling that week as news leaked out that the FDIC was actively seeking buyers. The FDIC allegedly invited half a dozen financial companies to review detailed information about First Republic's assets and deposits in the lead-up to the eventual sale. PNC allegedly made multiple bids, including one which would have involved selling some of First Republic's assets to Apollo, a private equity group, and BlackRock, an asset manager, according to various news sources. Bloomberg reports that J.P. Morgan's bid was more appealing to the FDIC than the competing bids, which proposed either breaking up First Republic or would have required complex financial arrangements to fund the $100 billion of mortgages. The FDIC's brief takeover of the bank allowed the agency to enter into a five-year burden-sharing agreement with J.P. Morgan, which we'll discuss in greater detail shortly, on unrealized losses in First Republic's loan portfolio due to interest rate rises. J.P. Morgan ended up acquiring $173 billion in loans from First Republic and approximately $30 billion of securities. They're not assuming the failed bank's corporate debt or preferred stock. J.P. Morgan will pay the FDIC $10.6 billion in cash now and another $50 billion in five years' time. They'll pay interest on that $50 billion, but the interest rate has not been disclosed, and it's probably pretty low. What this means is that the FDIC will get around $60.6 billion to pay back the Fed, plus roughly $15 billion in cash and roughly $4 billion of other assets that are still left over at First Republic, for a total of around $80 billion. First Republic owes the Fed around $93 billion, meaning that the FDIC's insurance fund will take a hit of around $13 billion. The FDIC says that the $13 billion loss is an estimate and the final cost will be determined when the FDIC terminates the receivership. Now, under normal circumstances, J.P. Morgan would not have been allowed to buy First Republic for antitrust reasons. U.S. regulators can't approve any deal that results in an institution holding more than 10% of insured deposits in the United States. And J.P. Morgan was already above this threshold before the deal. But regulators were obliged to sell the bank to the party making the best offer. J.P. Morgan allegedly received a waiver from this regulation because it was by far the best deal being offered. 
The decision to waive the rules was taken by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, an independent bureau within the Treasury Department that ensures lenders comply with laws and regulations. The deal wasn't exactly a private sector deal either. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, told the press that his firm had switched sides from being an advisor to First Republic to being the buyer only after the government asked the bank to step up. On top of this, the deal did include a $50 billion line of credit for JP Morgan, as well as a loss-sharing agreement with the FDIC. Now, that loss-sharing agreement is one of the most interesting parts of this deal, as the FDIC has agreed to bear 80% of the credit losses on First Republic's mortgages and commercial loans. Now, as I mentioned earlier, First Republic's loans had very good credit quality, so this should not be a huge risk. First Republic got itself in trouble by making low-interest mortgages to wealthy people who will most likely pay off their mortgages. The issue wasn't the credit risk, it was that the loans had fallen significantly in value due to the rise in interest rates. JP Morgan's presentation even highlights the high-quality portfolio of loans with a strong credit profile. So why did they need a loss-sharing agreement with the FDIC? Well, a normal mortgage loan on the books of a bank like JP Morgan would require them to fund the mortgages with around 7% equity capital. When they get the FDIC to agree to a loss-sharing agreement, it makes the loan safer, and that means that they have to put up much less capital to earn the same return. This means that their return on equity on these mortgages will be a lot higher. The FDIC has two goals with this transaction. The first goal is to get as much money as possible when selling First Republic. And the second goal is to make sure that the banking system is well capitalized. Selling the assets a bit cheap, financing the deal with a $50 billion loan, and allowing attractive regulatory treatment to carrying the mortgages means that the FDIC is not just moving the problem to another bank, leaving the overall system as shaky as before, it's instead reducing the risk in the banking system. Had the FDIC not offered these sweeteners to the deal, JP Morgan would likely have offered to pay less and the FDIC would be announcing a bigger hit to its insurance fund than the $13 billion it has announced. JP Morgan announced that they will recognize a one-time $2.6 billion gain on the deal. So they definitely view this as a winner, but they say that they expect to spend $2 billion on restructuring costs over the next 18 months. JP Morgan announced to investors that the deal accelerates and complements its wealth management strategy, which has focused on better off rather than super rich customers, and that some First Republic branches will be converted to wealth management centers, and that First Republic's wealth management platform will become part of JP Morgan Advisors. A number of well-known investors like David Hunt from PGIM speaking at the Millican conference on Monday argued that the turmoil in banking is not yet over. 
Hunt argued that banks will be forced to comply with tougher rules that could crimp their ability to lend just as the US economy is starting to feel the full force of the Federal Reserve's aggressive interest rate hikes. Charlie Munger, in an interview with the Financial Times, warned of a brewing storm in the US commercial property market, with American banks full of what he said were bad loans as property prices fall. The sale of First Republic has so far failed to prevent a further sell-off in other regional bank stocks this week. PacWest, which is seen as one of the weakest mid-sized regional banks, had its shares briefly halted for volatility yesterday and was down almost 28% for the day. Western Alliance, another mid-sized bank, was down more than 15%. Both of these banks have drawn scrutiny because of their similarities to Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. Mid-sized U.S. banks are a subject of investor concern in general because U.S. regulators have said that they plan to tighten supervision and regulatory requirements, which will probably add costs and hit profits for these banks. After the deal to acquire First Republic was announced on Monday, Jamie Dimon said that the rescue deal pretty much resolves them all but he prefaced his remarks with the warning that there may be another smaller one to come. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you found it interesting, do tell a friend as that's how podcasts grow. Special thanks to my supporters on Patreon whose support makes this podcast happen. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.